so we've had three readings this morning. Uh, the first from before uh, the time of Jesus' birth, the second at the beginning of his life, and the third right at the end of his ministry. Now there's a theme that links all of these readings together. Indeed, one small word that links these three readings together. What's the word? You know the answer. <laughs> There's a clue on the screen. What's the word? With. Your. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or when Jesus is born, God with us. And then at the end of his ministry, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, lo, I am with you always. And this idea, uh, this idea of. Uh, God being with us, God wanting a relationship with his people, is the central theme of the entire Bible. How cool is that? I'm getting to preach today the Bible, not just one or two verses, the whole thing. This could take a while. It is an incredible thing that God wanted and has always wanted this relationship with us. Now we are in a time of Advent, the season of preparation for Christmas. And it's a special time if you allow it to be. If you take the time among all of the busyness of this season to stop and to pay attention to it. Now I promise you that you will be inspired by this season and in particular inspired to wonder. Now today we are looking, as Steve said, at the Incarnation. That central doctrine of the Christian faith that God assumed a human nature and became a man in the form of Jesus Christ. Becoming truly man yet remaining also truly God. It's an article of faith most clearly expressed in the prologue to John's Gospel in John chapter 1 verse 14 where we read the word became flesh and dwelt among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth now the word incarnation is in fact derived from the Latin for becoming flesh and this phrase, becoming flesh, makes the idea of God with us much more, so much more intimate and personal. That God was always present with us, always present in his creation. But when he became flesh, he became just like us in Jesus. And this, this is the wonder of Christmas. Many of the promises that God himself makes to us, that we see recorded in the Bible, they flow from this moment when God became flesh. The idea of incarnation is a kind of shorthand for all of these promises, such as providing for our needs, giving us sufficient grace to deal with difficult situations, protecting and guiding us with a promise that all things work together for good. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and chapter 20, it says, 
for all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You see, when God in Jesus arrived, he promised that you would never be alone and that everything about your life can be healed or redeemed. That is the significance of the Incarnation. That is God with us. This is Christmas. Now I'd like to talk to you today about three aspects of the wonder of the Incarnation. And part one is about the, the power of wonder. Now humans are uniquely capable of wonder. And by that I mean this sense of almost overwhelming amazement. Amazement, wonder at a great piece of art, or a scene of natural beauty, or some display of man-made genius. It can be as large as outer space, or as small as a single flower. Now do you remember that sense of wonder that came so easily and so naturally as a child, when everything from the stars in the night sky to an empty cardboard box could fire your imagination and make you feel alive. But as you grow, if you're lucky, you maintain this capacity for wonder, but it's a real struggle. It becomes more of a struggle. The realities and the, the responsibilities of adult life consume more of your time and attention. At home and at work, stressful situations and the constant demands and distractions of life can leave you feeling very far away from that version of yourself that is capable of finding beauty and mystery and meaning in the world. Now, if you'll forgive me, and at the risk of sounding very woke this morning, there have been studies, respected and respectable studies, all over the world in a number of uh, universities, which have demonstrated that a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, is really good for you. Uh, it does wonders for you. It can improve your physical and mental health, including, apparently, lowering the risk of depression and heart disease. Wonder improves your mood and makes you more satisfied with your life. It improves critical thinking. It decreases materialism and it increases humility. Wonder induces generosity and goodwill. And interestingly, some of the studies show that wonder makes you feel like you've got more time. Now the reason people experience these benefits, according to the psychologists, is apparently because of a phenomenon which they call, which is called unselfing, or the small self effect. Now you see, when we experience wonder, when we feel small in comparison to something else, that's when we experience this idea of being small. We experience wonder, perhaps, for example, when looking at the night sky or a breathtaking sunset or a mighty waterfall and we feel small in comparison to these 
enormous things. We experience wonder when we're part of something which is much bigger than ourselves. And one conclusion of these studies is that in order to reap the benefit of wonder in our daily lives, we should change what we pay attention to. Now this type of wonder, the small self effect, is readily available in the stories about Jesus, especially the stories about his birth. Now let me read to you how the coming of Jesus to the world is recorded in my favourite children's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I've recommended this previously. If you're still looking for a good Christmas present for a child, or anybody, frankly, uh, I can't recommend this enough. This is how the coming of Jesus is recorded in this children's Bible. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. And there, in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. The Bible tells us that they gazed in wonder at God's gift and they named him Jesus, known as Emmanuel, meaning God has come to live with us. God with us. Now I don't know about you, but uh, I think that in the top ten most profound things and ideas in the Bible, this short statement, God with us, could be number one. If God really did show up within his own creation at Christmas, then no story in the world carries more meaning than this one. Yet it's an idea that is so often, so frequently overlooked or ignored or undervalued, especially, ironically, at Christmas when people are so keen to celebrate the season, they forget to celebrate the child. This is a tragic shame. The arrival of Jesus, the incarnation, was all part of God's plan. Since the beginning of time, God had been planning, and at just the right time, he put all of his divinity into a little baby and the majesty showed up in a manger. Without abandoning anything of what it means to be God, the creator of the world took on all that it means to be human. And this, this should inspire us to wonder. You see, it happened in a moment. 
in one moment, just one remarkable moment. And when it happened, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the second part of the Incarnation has to do with this little Christmas word, with. As we have seen, one of the names used to describe Jesus was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And this idea of Emmanuel has three aspects. He is God, he is human, and he is with us. The trouble is, this enormous, almost unbelievable fact doesn't shock us anymore in the way that it should. Look at God as he's described in the Old Testament. Sometimes he's loving and close and slow to anger. But sometimes he is terrifying. He appears as a, 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 a pillar of fire or as a mighty wind. Moses was only ever allowed to see God from a distance and then only in part. And Moses spent his entire life dreaming of the possibility of a close and intimate relationship with a living God. Now this fiery tornado of a God didn't just arrive as a human being. He doesn't just come as an adult giving some teaching and then leaving. No, the designs were much grander than that. He comes as a baby, vulnerable and dependent. And the question is why? Why did God choose this way? Why? Well, because God became fully human in every way so that he could be near to us in every way. This is the Incarnation. It means that God himself suffered and that Jesus triumphed in this suffering. Christmas shows you a God unlike any other faith. Have you ever felt betrayed or let down or lonely? Have you felt desperate? Have you struggled with temptation in your life? Well, so has Jesus. It's many people's experience that they prayed for things and people and situations and God apparently ignored their prayers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked not to be crucified, but his request was not granted. Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer. If you ever feel abandoned by God, Jesus would say, me too. This is the real meaning of Christmas. Christmas says God has been all the places you have been. He's been beside you by the still waters and with you in the shadow of the valley. Those places we all inhabit at one time or another. The incarnation is God saying, I understand every part of your life and I can be with you in every part of your life. It's God saying, my presence is more powerful than the thing or the situation troubling you, no matter what that is. Author, Christian author Dorothy L. Sayers, a big friend of C.S. Lewis, a Victorian writer, she put it like this. 
God can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. When he was a man, he played the man. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. But if we really want to understand and honestly talk about God becoming human, we also have to acknowledge some very difficult parts of humanity. We read about them every day in the paper. And some of those very dark places also in our own lives. And as hard as this might be to believe and to accept, that Jesus is willing to go, to go into the darkest, most disgusting, most defiled corners of our lives, and his power is stronger than that polluting, shameful darkness. The reality of this is captured in two verses in John chapter 1. The verse we read first, verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But don't forget verse 50, which says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. God did become flesh. And he did dwell among us, and he still does, even in the difficult situations, and especially in the dark places. And this is such a message of hope for people who feel lost. This is the story of the Incarnation. It is the story of God's love for you. This is Christmas. Uh, Joe and I are blessed now with lots of grandchildren. <laughs> Um, four and a half years ago, we had none. Now we have six. It makes Christmas very expensive indeed. And sometimes we have the grandchildren over for a sleepover at our house. Now, one of these grandchildren, you will know, he's here this morning, although he's gone out to the uh, children's ministry, little Artie. Now, um, Artie isn't keen on the dark. He prefers to have a light on when he goes to bed at night. Now he's scared of the dark, but not because he's afraid to be alone. He's scared of the dark precisely because he's afraid he might not be alone. In his imagination, someone or something is in the bedroom with him. But if his nana goes into the room and lies down beside him, that's when he is no longer afraid, and he, little Artie, can go peacefully to sleep. You see, it matters greatly who is with you in the darkness. This God of hope and joy and love and peace he is the God who is with us in the dark. This is the God who left heaven and walked with his people. He came not just to a handful of shepherds, 
not just to some wandering wise men, not just to Mary and Joseph. He came to all of us, to you and to me. God with us. God with the strong, God with the weak, God with the failures, God with the fragile, God with the lonely, God with the fearful, God with us. Uh, Beck last week in the introduction to this uh, series looked at that lovely story of Simeon, that short but profound vignette following the birth of Jesus. Now Simeon had been promised by God that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so when Mary and Joseph presented their baby at the temple, Simeon, the promise to Simeon was fulfilled. But Simeon, in speaking to the parents, said this. And it was something that the Bible tells us really pierced Mary's heart. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Part of the wonder of the Incarnation could be that it is threatening, so threatening to us. If God really did become human, and really was born as a baby, and was in reality the King of all kings, then the challenge facing us is the prospect of having to surrender our right to rule ourselves. But that's difficult and often seems beyond us. Yet the good news of Christmas is that even when we cling to our own darkness, even when we choose it because we prefer to stay in the shadows, this Christ child comes to us. Jesus wasn't born because the people asked for it. He wasn't born because the people were good and they deserved it. Jesus was born because he wanted to come and he wanted to redeem his people, sometimes even from themselves. The wonder of the incarnation, the incarnation is this, that God loved the world so much that he sent his own son that whosoever believes in him might be saved. So can I encourage you this year to make Christmas personal by changing what you pay attention to, by making space for wonder, by making all of this more than just a story, by allowing it to become part of the narrative of who you are by recognising with your whole heart and mind and soul the fabulous truth that God loved you enough, loved me enough, exactly as we are to come.